When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not even enter the temple of the Lord because of the glorious presence of the Lord. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down from the glorious presence of the Lord, filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, he is so good, his faithful love endures forever. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their assigned positions, and so did the Levites who were singing. His faithful love endures forever. They accompanied the singing with music from the instruments King David had made for praising the Lord. On the other side of the Levites, the priests blew the trumpets where Israel stood. Solomon then dedicated the central area of the courtyard in front of the Lord, Lord's temple so they could present burnt offering and the fat from peace offerings there. He did this because the bronze altar he had built could not handle all the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrificial fat. So this idea of, here's where we're going, this idea of I can't let go of this word fire all morning long. It's totally not what I had planned. Um, I had 16 pages of notes on the back half of Daniel chapter 9. I'm not joking. They're all right here. Small, super small font right here. But there's this thing that the Lord's been whispering all morning long, and I, if I could put it into words, I'll try to start, and then we'll come back and backfill it with Scripture. This is my least favorite kind of teaching, which is just on the fly, trying to chase the Holy Spirit. But here we go. We stand at a moment in time in our city where the Lord's whispered over and over and over again what his desire is to do in our day and in our time. That it's been in the heart of the Lord for a long time to put what I would call a geographic defining revival into this region. What do I mean by that? If you look around the landscape of the globe, not just the United States, there has been a move of God supernaturally over the course of time that the Lord will land in a geographic location and so define that location. The Toronto Blessing, Lakeland, Florida, Brownsville Revival, Bethel, Azusa. These are just the ones in the continental United States. The Welsh Revival, we move globally. A small group of people led by a guy named Reese Howells. If you don't know who that is, you should get that book, Reese Howell Intercessor, it'll change your life. But we stand in a moment in time where the landscape of the modern church struggles with the business metrics, if we're honest. I think we struggle as a people, the people of God, we struggle to know where to put our focus. So what I'm gonna say could be easily misconstrued, and if you choose to do that, I'm sorry. But I'm gonna speak very frank and very direct. The people of God have always been intended to carry the presence of God. There is not a plan biblically that doesn't include the people of God carrying the manifest Shekinah glory of God on them 
Throughout scripture, when the people of God gather, the intention of heaven is that the fire of heaven would fall and so consume the people of God that they are set ablaze and they're different. That's the biblical model. We see it in this passage in the Old Testament. We see it in the birth of the new church. If you go with me to Acts, let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them. And it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. There's two things I wanna highlight here. Number one, 2 Chronicles 7 is the establishing of the temple of God in Israel. So we could call it this way. It's the birthplace of the geographic location where the Lord was gonna live and dwell. Prior to this, they had been in what was called the tent of meeting, which they were nomadic, so they would set up a portable tent. But this is the place where they begin to build what was in David's heart. King David's heart was that the Lord would have a a dwelling place on earth. What that teaches us is that it's in the heart of God because he put it in the heart of one of his sons to create a geographic dwelling on earth. So we know the the Lord has always longed to dwell geographically. You tracking with me? The Lord wants to have a place where it's known for his glory. If you fast forward to Acts chapter 2, this is the birth of the, of, of the modern church. It's the birth of the church that Jesus establishes built on him. I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not an undoing of the old system, it's the evolution of what was always intended of the old system. But the Lord has completed the work that was going on historically, brought forward, and now he's teaching them what it's going to look like. What do we see in both places? we see the baptism of fire both places. In 2 Chronicles, Solomon finished building the the temple, sorry, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up offerings and sacrifice. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. So the Lord establishes his house with fire, always. Please track with me. The New Testament, the Lord establishes this new gathering with fire. Now, it's not fire as in burning fire. Chronicles, it was physical fire consuming and sacrifice. In the New Testament, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a consumption of the Holy Spirit. Now, go with me to, let's go someplace else. Let's have some fun. Let's go to, we're going to go to Romans 12 and Hebrews 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Romans 12, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. How do we know when a sacrifice is accepted scripturally? It's consumed. Think about Elijah. Think about the prophets of Baal. 
Is it, light? it might be Elisha, I can't remember. Sorry, yeah, I just admitted that, you'll be okay. <laughs> he builds an altar, douses it with water all night long. I had dreams about this, and I'm like, why in the world am I dreaming about this altar and fire? And I was like pushing, I'm teaching Daniel, we're teaching Daniel, I finally, third gathering, went, oh, I get it, here we go. He douses it with water, douses it with water, and the evidence that God was God and Baal was not. And I know I'm moving fast. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's in your Bible. The evidence that God accepted his sacrifice was fire. So when Romans says, brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. The word here in the Greek is sarks, and it literally means my physical body. It does not mean my spiritual body. It actually means my physical flesh and blood. Grab your arm right here, hold it out in front of you, and pinch. Not enough to hurt, just enough to remember you're awake. It's that thing. Paul says, I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, present this thing to God. Make it the kind of sacrifice he will accept. What does that mean? It means we are to live in such a way that the Holy Spirit can land on us. You tracking with all the logic through here? So go to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that so easily hinders our progress. Now go to 2 Timothy with me. Chapter 1, verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. The way we fan into flame the gift of God in us is by aligning our life with the Holy Spirit by living in the fear of the Lord in such a way that the Lord has an offering he can consume. Does that make sense? It means that I strip off every weight that so easily hinders me. I set aside every sin pattern, every attitude issue. I set aside anything in my life and I manage it into obedience to Jesus, which I say, as for me and myself, I am going to manage my private life, my personal life, my public life in such a way that the Spirit of God can consume me at all times because I'm an acceptable sacrifice. Does that make sense? We get, we get so stuck in grace, please hear me. We want to act like it doesn't matter. It matters. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which means the doorway into the kingdom begins with living a life of the fear of the Lord, which means I make my life align with the text. I live what the, what the Spirit of God says to live. If there's any attitudes in me that are contrary to God, you say, what do I mean? How many have ever had a critical spirit? You recognize a critical spirit's not from God. Yet a lot of times we'll live with it. We'll keep it. We nurse it. How many have had a bitter spirit? We understand that's not from the Lord. Scripture teaches that clearly, but yet we keep them, we nurse them. We have sin patterns in our life, things we would step into and do that we know the Lord's against, but we keep them because at the end of the day, 
When Jesus says, not my will but yours be done, he gives a pattern for living the kingdom, which is my will must die. And when my will dies, I'm now presented to the Lord as a living sacrifice, the kind he can consume with fire. So when I sing a song like, for the sake of the world around me, light a fire in me, set me ablaze, I must understand that what I am singing is, and what I'm asking for is I'm asking for the Lord to bring a convicting work in me in so much that I become so fed up with my own woundedness, my own sin patterns, my own attitudes, that I will lay them down and present myself to him saying, here, O Lord, have I created a place for you to catch on fire. This is what it looks like to change a city. I manage my life before the Lord with such a fervency and a fearlessness that I would say this, I have set my face on you. I want you to consume me. I want to be like the altar in 2 Chronicles. I want to be what was consumed. I want to be an offering that's acceptable to you. So Paul will say this, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I was an adult, I put away childish things. Church, we stand in a moment in time The Lord has whispered and declared what he wants to do in our day and our time. And my question is, will we be the people that will search our hearts, inspect our lives, and command ourselves to walk in the fear of the Lord? Will we be a people that will say, no longer will I put up with things that I know are contrary to the king. I am going to arrange my life in order under him. I love grace. I love the kindness of God. There is not a revival that's ever hit the world that didn't begin in the fear of the Lord. If you study the history of the move of God, it always comes upon a movement back to the fear of the Lord. This is what Solomon did. This is what Josiah did. All the way through the scriptures, leaders would challenge Nehemiah, Ezra. They would challenge the people of God to come back into alignment with the purpose and plan of God and live the scriptures. And when that happens, the fire of God begins to fall. We're not contending for good worship sets. That's childish. We're contending for a place that the glory of the Lord so dwells that the sick walk in and leave healthy. That broken marriages come in and supernaturally start to be restored and they can't figure it out because the grace of God is so strong, the authority of heaven is so evident that what is contrary to the king can't dwell in this place. That is what we are aiming towards. I set away on vacation. I've made no bones about it. I've never lied about it. I've always been open. Leading a church is not the thing that I woke up one day and said I really want to do. It's what the Lord asked me to do. And I think if the Lord asks you to clean toilets, you clean toilets. He asks you to lead a church, you lead a church. It's no big deal. Because of that, I've never approached this as like building up a sense of me in it. It's just like, all right, Lord, I'll, I'll try to be faithful. I'll try not to screw it up. I'm sitting on vacation and the Lord said, I want you to do whatever it takes to make vintage successful. I'm like, why? I wasn't super excited. I was like, okay. He's like, because this church matters in this city. It doesn't mean other churches don't matter. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have a responsibility in this house to be a people that carry the presence of God. We have no responsibility to speak into other cultures. That's not our job. Our job is to be faithful, to be us, to be loving, to be gracious, to be a benefit to the city around us. But I will say this, I know with everything in me 
the fundamental purpose for vintage is to be a dwelling place of the presence of God. That is why he told us to do this. It cannot be about programs and systems. It has to be about a people of God that are so motivated towards the presence of God that they would say, for the sake of the world, light a fire in me. And Lord, I'll live in such a way that you can set me ablaze. Because too often we live like fire extinguishers. Think that through. We have so soaked ourselves in sin that the Lord can't consume it. It's not because he's not powerful, it's because he understands this. He will never aggressively light you on fire until you have done the work to present yourself to him a living sacrifice, the kind he will accept. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the more of the Lord and the movement of God. We can stay in childish things and still get to the end and the Lord's gonna be gracious because I think salvation is that secure. But for the Lord to do in our day and in our time what he intends to do, it must come upon a people who have walked so healthily with the fear of the Lord that the Lord would say, you know what, this place is tender spiritually. All I have to do is drop a match and it's gonna go vertical. Can you hear me, heart? my heart? I don't think we're playing a game. I think the Lord wants to land on the front range. He wants to release revival in this region. I don't think that's just a cool sounding phrase. I believe the Lord has spoken it over and over and over again. And I think we have been invited to, be a, to play a part. Our part is to be a dwelling place. Let's stand.